Man, opening up with a deep track from the Eagles. I mean, this is a song I don't even know if we've ever played it on Sports Talk. I like that. I like when we when we give you something that you never hear, unless you're listening to KLAQ2, where this is probably in somewhat of a rotation. But, yeah, you talk about a deep track, too many hands from the Eagles getting us going here on a Friday afternoon. I like that. He's Adrian Broadus. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Alberto Urueta is with us as well. Happy Friday, everybody. Look Happy at that, Friday. Man, look at that UTEP softball team. They have taken – it's almost like this is the – like for the last three or four years of frustration, now they've channeled it all into probably the best start ever. I mean, they knocked off Texas Tech. They nearly did it to Arizona State last week. They've been playing, uh, they've been playing terrific. What a difference pitching can make. Yeah, the the pitching really changes things for them. Uh, right now in this one, they're up three against Texas State, and you know Taja Felder, she's uh, f- had eight batters fat, but batters faced. Sorry, and has walked two of them, has only struck stri- struck out one, but she has the the shutout so far, and that really does change things. You can go out and beat Power Five schools, and you know they they got whooped last year. They they hosted. Uh, some good competition early in last season, and that I think toughened them up. And I think getting a, a win against a power five school here is um, is really what what has helped them out. I agree. You doing okay there? I'm yeah, I was I, I was shaky at the start. I didn't want to pull on the mic. I don't know what you were doing. I, I, I was, you know, what? Any time, like I mean, I'm just thinking that that mustache is taking over, man. It's like it's like owning you now. I mean, that stash has grown in so well. I almost feel like, um, yeah, it's now dictating what you say, how you say it, when things start to come out of your mouth. Basically, your mustache is running. It's running your show. You realize that, right? Yeah, it is. Uh, it's got a life of its own right now. It and, does, uh, man. Have you named him yet? I have no control. No, I haven't named him. Like, I if you had, to, like, just out of curiosity, if you had to name your mustache, what do you, what do you think? Like, you would, you would want to refer to your mustache as, like, you know, people have different names for everything on their body. What would you call your mustache? That's a hard one. Mm, I'd have to think about that. For Adrian, any uh, any mm, tips for good. any tips for Alberto on how he can name that that stash that pretty much now has grown in? Like, that is a that is a very impressive. Well uh, established uh, addition uh, to uh, uh, Mr. Urueta's uh, facial features, and now the question is, you know, what what is he going to call it? You know, it's a great question, Steve. I think that you have to draw inspiration from other great mustaches as well. Mm-hmm. Maybe you you throw a little Baker Mayfield. I I feel like it's got a little Baker in him. Uh, Baker always uh, changes up his facial hair though, so it's not like Baker today. But uh, yeah, I would say that there's a lot of different names that you could throw out there for people who have this kind of style mustache. Yeah, I mean, let's put it this way. It is it is a solid, solid mustache. I like it. And, um, you know, I just so curious now to see, based on, you know, what he has, uh, how that thing is going to, you know, what's going to happen and what he's going to name it. I mean, a lot of good, a lot of good possibilities, don't you think? Yeah, I definitely do. There's some good ones. I think we can get some good, um, you know, well, some suggestions from the listeners, too. Yeah, I, I do too. I mean, you tell me when you look at it, what do you think? Is it what would you say? Is it it's not it's it's grown thicker than the pencil mustache. It really has. It's I mean, I don't know, man. 
Some people call it there's 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 actually a name a Chevron mustache. Did you know that? Oh, I like that. The Chevron. I like yeah, that. What do Chevron, you think? Chevron, that's a good one. Yeah. Um it is Look, it follows the shape of the upper lip, resulting in a natural mustache that has a slight upside down V shape. What do you think? Is that would you say that that's what he's got? Yeah, I would say that's what he's got. Uh, you could call it the Chevy, maybe. You know, something yeah. like that. The Chevy. All right. I like that. That's not bad, man. That is not bad. Well, listen, regardless, it's good to have you and your mustache back in our studios today. I appreciate that, Alberto. And, uh, you know, it's always tough when you get, you know, thrust into the show right out of the gate. Adrian just kind of put you on the air. Yeah, when, I apologize when we were, back here. I, mean, I was like, that's on me. <laughs> I was kind of setting you up for UTEP softball. Then yeah. all of a sudden, you're throwing Alberto up. He couldn't complete a sentence to start the uh, the conversation. And then he got warmed up again and got going. And again, I blame the stash. Anytime there's anything that happens with Alberto, I am always going to put it on the mustache. That's Alberto, it's the easiest way. It's the easiest scapegoat you've got now. So if anything ever happens that, you know, isn't up to perfection for you, just blame it on the mustache. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just really, oh, the mustache. And, and you know, talking more, a little more uh, UTEP softball, right now in this one, they're up three, like I said, and they have uh, Autumn Scott, Hallie Hogan, Asia Richard, Annie Dallas Mendez. They all have one hit in their first at-bat here, so they kind of got hot. And that's how they scored three. And they're, they're really getting going on both sides of the ball. Awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, I'm happy for the softball team. I hope they hold on and, and beat Texas State. You got to be, listen, you already beat Texas Tech. Now you got to finish the job and just take care of Texas State. And then it has been a successful first day for UTEP. They'll win this thing when it's all said and done. That's how, that's, you know, that's the kind of, uh, that's the kind of softball they're playing right now. Yeah. And this is a really tough time, you know, off the field, Steve. Uh, it was, you know, this was actually made public earlier in the week. And for those who don't know, uh, TJ Hubbard's wife is going through uh, battling a serious disease right now. Uh, yep. She was admitted, I, I believe, a couple weeks ago, um, middle of February to MD Anderson. So uh, she has been in um, some kind of recovery. Recovery right now. She's going through a lot off the field. The whole family's going through a lot off the field, and so uh, for this, for the Hubbard family, you know, our prayers out to them, and for this team to have success and to rally around the season and everything that's going on. I mean, it's pretty remarkable and what they've been able to do so far on the year. It's amazing. You're right. Maybe they're all rallying together for TJ. That could be what it is right now because of uh, the situation that uh, you know has involved his wife. And uh, I saw Jim Center post a link to the GoFundMe earlier this week, and. Uh, yeah, it's been uh, really, really tough, uh, tough news. And uh, look, they've got young kids. So, you know, that is uh, you, you just hope for the best. That's all you can say is you hope for the best. No, no doubt about it. And, you know, another thing, Steve, to keep it on a positive note, uh, this softball team is doing something that a lot of people counted them out and thought that they couldn't do under this coaching staff. And, you know, this coaching staff has struggled in the past couple of years, but it feels like this year is different. They've shown what they can do at home against quality opponents like New Mexico. Yep. They've shown what they could do against Power 5 opponents like Texas Tech. Right. And they're, they have a chance to sweep today. So I, I like the fight that they're showing early on into the season. I'll be perfect. Perfectly honest with you, okay? And this is the honest to God truth. I was shocked that TJ Hubbard survived after last season. I thought right. for sure he was out at softball, as softball coach, but they hung in there. They gave him one more year, and so far, you've already seen uh, really the the just the the results, and it's been terrific. What a great start for them, and can't wait to see what they do in conference as they continue to play so well in the non-conference action. So it's a good place for us to start here on the show today. Uh, meanwhile. 
Uh, and by the way, this came from Adolfo, who said, Alberto does a great job calling UTEP softball. How about that? Adolfo giving you props. Thank you. Thank you, sir. There it is. I like that. Good answer. That's all you have to say. It's perfect. Anyway, um, we got a lot to cover. We just found out Lane Frank will drop by uh, probably about five fifteen right after track talk. Nice. We might only have one segment with Lane today. Might be a quick. Uh, might be a quick day today with Lane, but that's okay. He he wants to get in. I'm excited about that. So Lane's going to drop in on the show here uh, next hour. We've got track talk as we mentioned with Eric Alwyn. We'll do that at five. Then we have uh, coming up at six. We're going to meet a new member of El Paso Locomotive FC. So that's also in store for us. We'll have a big second and third hour on the show getting ready for the weekend but let's begin with the big news all right um i know we talked about softball to begin and alberto's mustache which by the way the stash is done for the show that he's that mustache has gotten enough uh, publicity he doesn't need any more uh, exposure than he's already gotten so we're finished with that but the men won a road game yesterday this is a big story and by the way thank you trey trey promoting on uh, twitter and x that minor talk is the best show on radio i agree i've been saying it for years um, and, and minor talk, uh, in, including this one, I think minor talk is the best thing we've got going on, on on this radio station. I love it. Love the fact that you can react instantly. I love the fact that even though we didn't have a single caller yesterday after their first road win of the season, there was enough activity on social media to power the show for a good amount of time after the Miners took care of business yesterday on the road and won their first road game of the season against Jacksonville State. Yeah, and it's something to be excited about if you're a UTEP fan, but with context, all right? So let me say this, and let me be very clear, because some people were calling me today saying, wow, UTEP, you think UTEP's turned the corner? That's what you were saying a lot. No, 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 no. I don't, my feelings on this team have not really changed. The fact that they snapped a four game win streak, just celebrate that. Celebrate the fact that they won a road game, which I counted them out on doing this season. Yep. I thought they were done on the road. They were going to lose this game. They were going to lose against Liberty. I still think they'll lose to the Flames. But when you have a performance like that from Derek Hamilton, who battled sickness, and head coach Joe Golding after the game said that he was puking post game and had to have an IV in him, uh, which is disgusting in itself, uh, Otis. Frazier the third with a career night 24.7 steals he's got 65 steals on the season which is pretty remarkable in itself and then David Terrell emerging in the second half zero points in the first looked a little shaky scores all his 11 in the second half and was playing legitimate real minutes for this team when they really needed it so uh, you know you could be happy for this team to finally get a road win which uh, like Joe Golding said yesterday this team's pretty resilient they they don't let a lot phase them even though they might not be as talented or as good as some of their other opponents that they're facing. They've been in every road game. The only difference was last night they finished. I mean, they haven't finished all season. They've been in almost all of them. You think about it. This team doesn't get blown out on the road. This team is usually right there in the final minutes of every road game, with the exception of one or two that we've seen so far. So, you know what? I'm happy they found a way to win on the road. Um, Do I expect them to win tomorrow against Liberty on the road? Nope. But you know what? I didn't even know if they were going to win last night. And they came back and played tough. So, you know, they could show up. They Liberty, I mean, they could show up. And if they come with momentum coming off the win last night, they can absolutely play Liberty tough to, all the way through for 40 minutes tomorrow. 
They can. And, you know, the I, I loved how this team responded at the eight-minute mark because I thought it was real tight all the way through uh, the end of the game. In fact, at one minute, 104, at the 104 mark, it was just a three-point game. Uh, Jacksonville State had sunk some free throws, 68-65. Uh, there was also a, uh error by the Miners at that point, but they were able to get a layup from Tay Hardy, which was clutch. It was a timeout by the team. Uh, they, they rallied around it. Um, and then it was the steal and score difference maker by Otis Frazier III that really set this team over the top late in the game. So you have your team, uh, your, you know, your player who's led you in scoring all season long in Tay Hardy, uh, who hit a great layup, and you had your best player on the floor in Otis Frazier III making the biggest play of the night with that steal and layup. So really like that late game closeout by the Miners. And, and is it something you could build upon? Sure. It gives them confidence, yes. But does it change the course of their season? I don't really think so. I don't either. I don't either. But you don't want to know something? All the tournament games are going to be neutral site games, so who knows? I mean, do I think UTEP's going to come and uh, be ready to book? No, but you never know. Anything's possible. All right. Anyway, um, interesting. All right. We found out just a moment ago. All right. Breaking news. Lane Frank's tennis coach is making him stay longer than he anticipated. He will not be able to come by today. It's all good, man. You know, uh, Zay Zay Galindo on this show has uh, not been able to join because of practice with track. He's yep. been uh, in the season. Same with Lane Frank. He's in tennis season. They're both in the thick of it. We were, Alberto and I were just talking about it off air. We were saying this age, you know, when you're a sophomore, junior, senior in high school, you get real busy at times. So, you know what? I, I give him a pass here today. Do you give him a pass? Yeah, of course. Of course. And listen, the truth is this. Um, academics and athletics comes first. It does. That's right. So, you know, Lane is a sophomore. He's already on the varsity tennis team. I don't want him ticking off his coach just to show up for a quick spot in the 5 o'clock hour. I want to make sure that he stays on that tennis team and doesn't do anything to upset the apple cart. Even though I would like to get his Coronado tennis coach on the show one of these days and explain to him what he has in Lane Frank, because I don't really know if his tennis coach has any idea what Lane does when he's not playing for Coronado. Yeah, we need to have more uh, guests like that with Lane. You know, the people to just kind of get that, uh, you know, the information, the 411. This guy really knows the sports. He does. He really does. So anyway, um, we'll do Track Talk at 5. We'll have the rest of the hour open, and then we'll do a little Locomotive at 6, which gives us a chance to spend more time talking to you. In fact, I have three pairs of tickets left for tonight's Ring Wars 9 coming up at the Coliseum. Now, Here's the catch. Our office closes in less than an hour, 5 o'clock. So if you can get to our radio station at 4180 North Mesa before 5 o'clock, I will give you a pair of boxing tickets. And we have three pair left to go. So the first three callers in at 505-6009 that can get here before 5 I've got tickets for you for tonight's show. That's the first three callers that get into the show, 505-6009, and can make it to this radio station the next uh, 42 minutes. You're going to see Ring Wars 9, courtesy of 600 ESPN El Paso. So let's see if we can get some calls. In the meantime, let's go to Charlie 1, get our first traffic update. Great to have you aboard here on a Friday.
Green, thank you very much. Let's get right to the calls and start it off today with Cruz, who's first up. Hey, Cruz, what's going on? How are you? Not much, but I'm doing okay. Hey, um, I, I was wanted to call in yesterday, but you know, such a short program. Uh, I thought you. Well, hang on, hang on. Stop, 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 stop. All right, listen. You said Wait. you wanted to call in, but it was a short program. Are you talking about sports talk or minor talk? Uh, at this time, I was going to call in. Ah, uh, well, it was a very short program. It was only 30 minutes. I thought you meant minor talk last night if you wanted to call no, no, in, but no. but that was a short show. How long did minor talk go? Just <laughs> we went across. like an hour. An hour? Yeah. It's still a good amount of time. Cruz, have you ever listened to minor talk after UTEP games? Uh, sometimes I do, but, you know, I, I live alone, and, and I get to where I, I have things I got to do, and I got this eye problem waiting to get it, so I'm kind of slow at things. But, yeah, I, I do listen to it some of the time. All right, man. I got you. Well, yeah, we were only on for half an hour yesterday. You're 100% right. It was, it was well, you know, our 30-minute our shows, it's almost impossible to get in on, and then we spent much of the time with John Teicher. So I get you. But go ahead. You got in now. That's yeah. all that matters, Cruz. What do you have for us? Yeah. I thought that UTEP would win the game because they matched up pretty well against them the last time. They were ahead with all, almost all the gamers in the entire game. I thought they had a pretty good chance. And, uh, um, I, you know, I, I just I want to say, you know, uh, we, you know, it's been a bad season, but I want to thank the UTEP basketball team, especially the senior supporters, their loyalty. We're coming to El Paso to represent us and to, to – uh, Try to try their best, do their best. We there's we can't get any group of people in El Paso who would have done as well as this team has done for us, and and we should appreciate them a little little more. Um, and um, you know, especially as seniors, you know, when they, as they move on, if they apply themselves this way at what they decide to do, I think that they they will be successful. And once again, I want to thank him. I hope we can keep as many. Of these guys that are there, you know, I don't know how many, but hopefully most of them. And uh, we do appreciate it. Everywhere they go from now on, they will have a piece of us with them, and we will have a piece of them with us too. And and I want to thank them, especially like I said, the seniors for their loyalty. Yep, good, uh, good answer there. Good. I, all right, I appreciate that. Anything else you want to do besides thanking the uh, seniors today, Cruz? Well, you know. I, I did, but I can't remember it right off. I I just got off the the uh, the phone from uh, with the retirement company, with the union and all that, and it just kind of um, made me forget some of it. But <laughs> but uh, I'll call back and, and, and say some, some of the rest. You know, where if um, next week or so, you know, if I if I can remember it. Hey, I hear you. Listen, take care of yourself, and um, hey, thanks for the phone call. All right, we'll talk to you later. Thank you, buddy. Be careful. Bye-bye. You too. Good stuff. Crew's getting in as we continue. 38 past the hour. 505-6009, our telephone number, as we continue. We really didn't have much of a show yesterday. Do we? Right. Does, does, it even, does 30 minutes even count as a show? Uh, it's just like the pre-show, the pre-show before the pre-game, right? Do we have, would, would you call that like the pre-pre-show? Yeah, the pre-pre-show. Yeah. I, something like that. I like it. The pre-show before the pre-game show. How about that? The pre-show before the pre-game show. Got it. It's so confusing, isn't it? 
Very confusing. But, hey, we got it done yesterday. And, hey, uh, you know, to the UTEP team yesterday with that win, I mean, what does it do for them? It gives them a little bit of confidence going into that Liberty game. But I I think Liberty's just a bad matchup. They've got all those undersized guards. That's who everybody's going to see tomorrow. It's a 5 o'clock tip-off, so just remember that as well. And then they've got, you know, a smaller lineup bunch. So if they go with Otis Frazier at the 5 during stretches, I think that's probably the best method against this team. Although I do like – I hope that Derek Hamilton's feeling – a little bit better from puking all day yesterday, so then he can be thrown into the mix as well. You got listen if, if Hamilton's not, you know, sick, you got to play him. Liberty would have a, such a difficult time trying to figure out how to stop him down low. They're undersized. They don't have guys that can. They can't stop Derek Hamilton. Now on the flip side, Derek Hamilton probably couldn't stop them on the other side of the ball. But yeah, I would I would figure that that could be an interesting little uh, storyline against Liberty giving Hamilton a chance to play. I think it's easier said than done, though. I think that you know, just saying that he's going to push past them just because of his size is tough because th- they go zone in stretches. That's what really killed UTEP in that first matchup against Liberty. So I, I just want to see how Hamilton is against a zone defense. He's proven that he- when you put a man against him, go man-to-man, he can get through him. Yesterday, uh, Jacksonville State did throw some zone against UTEP, and he did go through him. So let's see what he could do against this Liberty team. I love him off the bench, and I love how he's so efficient offensively, Steve. That's one of the things that is be- uh, basically his strength, Derek Hamilton, his efficiency whenever he scores. Hamilton's probably the one big guy that if you throw a zone at him, he's still going to find a way to beat you, because even if you try to double him down low, he'll just power right through you and get the ball in. I mean, that's just what he does. He plays that low post power game and can finish around the basket. So how do you explain the lack of minutes? Because I can't explain it. That's what, That was me right there Listen. trying to explain the lack of minutes he's getting. I, the only thing I could I could figure out was they felt like he didn't play enough defense and couldn't get back in time. That would be the only thing. Yeah, because that's right. the same thing with Elijah Jones. It's like you ask, why, why isn't Elijah Jones playing? Well, like, well, because teams adjusted to him and he plays no defense. And I'm like, um, all right, fine, I'll give you that. But, I mean, Derek Hamilton, every time he's on the court, he scores. Right. So he's the you human want basket. That? I'll take a negative. I'll take a, a deficit defensively if you get the pluses on offense where they struggle. Yes, I mean, exactly. is, is this just common sense to us? What are we not seeing? And not only that, when you've got a guy like that that can score down low, it changes your perimeter game because now you're not having to press so much because they've got to focus down low on stopping the big man and suddenly you get wide open looks from everywhere. So if it's so simple like this, then I just don't understand why he doesn't at least average like 15 minutes during these final couple games I don't know. You know, off the bench. Yesterday, I get it. He's sick. He's he's puking his guts out, I guess, well, a- after the game or whatever. But maybe, maybe he can't handle like more than two or three minutes at a time without getting tired and winded. Yeah, I mean, then that, to me, that's more of a situational thing. Should have played all season long, so he would have been ready uh, here for this final stretch of the season. But on the flip side, it's up to the player to get themselves into shape. It's up to them to be in prime conditioning at this point of the season when you need it most. This is the most important time of the season. Yeah, that's very true. And you know what? If you don't, I mean, I, I know he lost like 20 pounds, but now don't you almost feel like he gained it all back? Like when you watch him on the court, does he really seem any lighter now than he did last year? 
I'll say he's smoother. Um, I don't think lighter. I think he's probably the same body type as yeah. he was last year. So uh, it, did he you know, change that much? I don't know. But um, as far as his touch goes offensively, he looks huh. more comfortable. He looks smoother. I would say that's true. I do agree with that. But, yeah, that's that's one of those mysteries. I don't, I don't know. Maybe on Monday we can ask Joe and have him explain to us where Derek Hamilton's been all season and why all of a sudden now are they putting him in. Maybe he's right. got a, maybe he's got a good answer for us. I don't know. You know, and maybe they're not getting much from their other two bigs in Solomon and and Kalu. And yeah. Maybe behind the scenes, that's just the simple answer. Hey, you got to go to your bench to see what you've got. Dos Anjos has gotten a lot of minutes these past couple weeks, so that's part of it as well. Forty two passed. We'll come back. Wrap up hour one. Still to come. Track talk to lead up our five o'clock hour, and then locomotive FC at six. We continue six hundred ESPN El Paso. A little X minus one for you off their latest return of the Night Mouse. You're hearing it first here on Sports Talk. I like it. Like it a lot. It does, it does have a, uh, a Sports Talk kind of uh, groove to it when it gets started, doesn't it? It does. I really like this song. Uh, it's fresh. Feels modern. It feels like, it, you know, they have so many different sounds. X minus one. You never know what you're going to really get. And this one right here was, uh, was really upbeat. It was fiery. I like it. I, I really like it. I think this is an hour opener right here. I love it. Good stuff. The boys will be happy, that's for sure, as we continue here on the program, nine in front of five. We've got track talk coming up here in 10 minutes with Eric Alwyn, the voice of Sutherland Park Racetrack and Casino. I started to see this. There's a, there's a lot of NFL releases that have been happening. A lot of big names have been getting released, too. In fact... Um, the latest big one is what happened with the uh, Patriots. They released J.C. Jackson, and now um, with the cornerback being uh, given his walking papers, uh, they have freed up apparently um, about $100 million now for their rebuild. And that's, that's a lot of money, $100 million in cap space now. I think 13.5 is what the Jackson release gave the Patriots, but they're trying to be a player during free agency. Yeah, they are. And they've got a lot of free agents who are, uh, you know, also on their radar or, or who uh, are probably leaving their team. Like uh, Ezekiel Elliott, he's also in the mix. He's somebody who's probably leaving their team as well. And so you look at this New England team, it's a hard reset. My question is, Steve, do they draft a quarterback? Do they get aggressive and start packaging things so they can move up in the draft? Or do they trade for somebody who's possibly available on the market right now? Maybe a Justin Fields. Maybe they trade and buy or you know throw the kitchen sink at somebody like Derek Carr and when I say kitchen sink maybe just a fifth rounder or something like that just to be a part of that rebuild but the top three quarterbacks right now it's Caleb Williams out of USC it's Drake May out of UNC uh, North Carolina and it's of course Jaden Daniels out of LSU so let's see what happens do you have concern with with um, Williams and all the, first off, he wouldn't even disclose his medicals at the NFL Combine. He's the first player in the history of the Combine that didn't do that. I don't know. There's just a weird vibe with him, don't you think? And I'm not, 
I don't know if I would just take him number one overall like a lot of teams have been talking about. So I'm all in on Caleb Williams. I am all in on him being number one, and I'm all in on the Bears taking him number mm. one. This is I, I'm in. I don't know. I mean, what is yeah. it? Attitude that's yeah. There's, you? there's 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 a lot. There, there's a lot to to unpack there. There really is. There's besides just the medicals. Yeah, the, there is the attitude situation, and I don't know. I just. I don't feel as good about it as I should. He's been the number one pick all year, and for some reason, there's just something about it that I'm not, I'm not feeling as as great with with Caleb Wood. And, and none of those quarterbacks, by the way, I don't necessarily know if any of them. Daniels, May. I don't know if there's any slam dunks in this year's draft class. Yeah, I was saying this earlier this week. I think the number of busts, it used to be 50-50, and now it's starting to be 60% busts, 40% actually pan out and have success out of the guys you get drafted in the first round. But you don't draft because necessarily uh, they're going to change the franchise. They're going to necessarily come on right away and be successful. You draft quarterbacks early in the draft because you hope to get them on that rookie contract look at the Texans right now they've got CJ Stroud under wraps they don't have to pay him crazy money like Patrick Mahomes who's making 50 million plus every single year so you have to be strategic on what you do in salary cap uh you know reasons but with the Texans they can load up this offseason so what I'm saying is you just get a restart right here with Caleb Williams at number one with the Bears forget the player right there the contract makes it worth it and now you could build around that with a guy on a rookie deal I mean I'm looking right now and Williams, it could be Williams, Daniels, and May going one, two, three to the Bears, Commanders, and Pats. Wow. See, the Daniels moving up over May is real interesting to me. It is. We'll talk more about that later in the show. But as promised, track talk coming up next with Eric Alwyn. And then right back to more of your calls as Sports Talk continues. It's 600 ESPN El Paso. back everybody to another edition here on track talk i'm steve kaplowitz joined as always by the voice of summer park racetrack and casino he is eric alwyn eric i can't believe that we're really in the home stretch of live racing uh it seems like it was just yesterday we started off the season and now here we are what six weekends left to go before the uh, racing season comes to a close yeah, it, it seems faster than most seasons, maybe because we had the Sunland Derby so early, uh, but the stakes races keep reeling off every, each and every weekend, and uh, it's all going to be, you know, closing on Sunday, April the 7th, and after Dustin's work of reshuffling the, the deck of cards, so to speak, closing weekend's going to be a lot more exciting than normal, and I got to tell you, Steve, after being in this game for 50 years, I saw something that I never thought I'd see uh, last Saturday when we watched the Saudi Cup. Tell me about it. Well, Todd Fincher had a horse in it, one of our very own horses, Senor Buscador, who happened to win the Curable Stakes last year here. And it's a horse from that same family tree of Runaway Ghost and so many others, Sheriff Brown. A lot of great horses have been thrown out of the Mayor Rose's Desert. And Senior Buscador is the latest one. And he's been picking off races kind of left and right or being second or third in 
in major races throughout the country and is before last Saturday, he was second uh, in the World Cup race at Gulfstream Park. So he was no longer really considered a long shot anymore. But uh, when they took him to Saudi uh, to run, you know, in Saudi Arabia, I think he went off at about 13 to 1. And he was going against horses that uh, had won the Breeders' Cup Classic and had been, you know, major threats in the Derby last year. In other words, the, the best horses in the world. And he beat them. He came from far back and and won by a nose without any you know argument at all. It's the finest. It's the finest horse achievement, finest trainer achievement from anyone from here ever, because of the amount of money involved. Twenty million dollars, the world's richest quarter horse. I mean, the world's richest thoroughbred race, or any race for any breed, and to have our own Todd Fincher win it. I think really caps off the success of the Sunland Park story. You know, when we started adding money from the gaming, uh, you know, proceeds and putting it into the the racing business. Wow, to see what it's done. I mean, it it really worked. It really worked. I think it's important also to note that even though we always talk about the Sunland Derby and the Kentucky Derby. There are plenty of great stakes races around the country and around the world that Sunland mm-hmm. horses do very well in. And this one, clearly, I mean, we talk mind that bird and that'll that'll go down in history and, and always will be remembered. But this race, knowing the purse, knowing the amount of money that's on the line and the prestige, again, another feather in the cap of not only Todd Fincher, but Sunland Park to show everybody that, hey, there are plenty of huge races worldwide, and we can always have a Sunland horse be a storyline just like this. I guess so. And it's all because of money. You know, the, the amount of money the gaming, uh, our casinos put into our racing product has just been enormous. Mm-hmm. And it has uh, yielded fruit. It's been so fertile. And, and to win that race... For a Sunland Park horse out of a New Mexico bred mare, Steve. I mean, that's another thing. And now, of course, she's throwing all these Kentucky breads because she's being, you know, bred to Mineshaft and Gunrunner and the likes. I mean, so she's Rose's Desert really isn't a New Mexico bred anymore, but she once was yeah. and she won races here. So it's one of the greatest stories of a locally raised, locally bred, locally born runner and i'm sure that the peacocks are are so happy uh joe peacock jr is now the owner and there was such interest in this horse steve that a couple of of rich saudis annied up eight hundred thousand dollars leasing a small portion of senior buscador for that saudi cup and the dubai world cup i think after what what uh senior buscador did He's already got him out of the 800,000 part. So whatever he makes in this Dubai race, these owners are going to make some money on their gamble, but they're not going to own the horse. It's just a two race leasing uh, situation. Something that I've never seen before where owners just come in for a, you know, a, a designated target of two races. And then the horse comes through. It's amazing because the owners made 10 million. Joe Peacock made 10 million. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being an owner and coming no. away 
$10 million richer because of one horse race. That one, is, I mean, one effort. okay, so you tell me, if you win the Kentucky Derby, how much money is that worth to the owner of the horse? I think a million and a half, 1.6 million. Yeah. Now, now, however, there's there's all the stuff that, you know, precipitates it. Sure. The glory, the prestige, a colt that wins the Derby. Yeah, there's going to be millions of dollars down the line mm -hmm. for breeding. There's that. But in one race for liquidity, no, that Saudi Cup is, you know, it's the number one race. I think the Dubai World Cup that he's going to run in next is worth a paltry $10 million, Steve. Just $10 million. Man. So, that, no. so I guess for Todd Fincher, okay, let's talk oh. about Fincher for a second. Um, I know he's having a solid meet here at Sunland, but all of a sudden, um, does he become now a bigger national commodity and worldwide commodity with the ability to win this race as a trainer? Three words. You damned right. And he's a good marketeer, too, Steve. Mm -hmm. You know, he's going to parlay this into big stuff. Yeah. He's already got a lot of new owners. And I can see a day where Todd might not be here presently all the time anymore. He'll always have his, you know, his division of New Mexico breads. But Todd Fincher is destined for places like Oakland Park, Keeneland, Churchill Downs. And now... You've got a worldwide audience, which you just hinted at, that saw what he can do. And it's not like it's just one race that he won. Todd's taken this horse everywhere. He's won at Del Mar. He won at Churchill a couple of years ago. He's stakes placed at Gulfstream. And, and he just keeps on coming. And he's one of the greatest closers that I've ever seen. He must have made up about 12 lengths to win that race at Saudi the other day. So it's just obvious that Todd has done a great job. And, and he's a young man. Yeah. He's your age. He's yeah. in his, I think he's in his late 40s or maybe just turned 50. And, and he was a former jockey. So he knows so much about the racing game. He could be the next Steve S. Mewson when you really start to look at it. Maybe although he's getting a later start as far as national stuff, mm -hmm. but he could certainly be in that dance. Yeah, that's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. Eric Owen yeah. joining us here on Track Talk as we continue. By the way, how old is Senor Buscador? Gosh, that's a good question. I think he's about five or six, mm -hmm. okay? And he's not a gelding, Steve. He's not a gelding. He's a stallion. Yeah, He's worth a ton. And I don't think he's going to be breeding in New Mexico. I mean, yeah, I he's so good that they'll probably just stand him in Kentucky, I would imagine. And for, a, you know, in a world where stamina is questioned in American racing, here's a stud that's going to love throwing babies that can go a mile and eighth, a mile and a quarter, maybe even a mile and a half. Amazing. Now, let's uh, let's transition to this weekend. We've got the Grade Three um, West Texas Derby coming up yes. for quarter horses on Saturday. Then we've got the Sunburst Stakes on Sunday. So a pair of big stakes races happening this weekend here at Sunland Park Racetrack. You know, Steve, the West Texas Derby is really a a betting challenge. So many good ones in there. They're not the elite, elite, world class Grade One types, but they're hard knocking types, three year olds, horses that have shown some ability in stakes. I'm a little partial to the uh, rail horse, a horse called One Little Liar. This horse won 
a race that I called at Sunray Park last year called the Four Corners Futurity. And he's going to go up against another rival of his from that race in Tempting Barbie. Tempting Barbie is going to be in the three hole. And it's ironic that these two horses are fresh. They haven't been overrun yet. And they might be better three-year-olds than they were two-year-olds. And one little liar is trained by one of my favorite trainers here at Sunland among thoroughbreds, Andres Gonzalez. Uh, he was second in one of our stakes races on Sunland Derby Day. I think it was the Bill Thomas with Loca Luna. He makes horses better. I don't care what they are, for horses or thoroughbreds. And he made one little liar better enough to win his trial and be the top qualifier but Tempting Barbie is going to be bearing down on him. Marco Flores is his trainer. Wes Giles has a good one in the race called Moe's. He was a trial winner. So it's a deep, uh, deep race. They gelded Bacardi a couple months ago, and he improved. And uh, it was within a neck of one little liar in the trial. So there's not a lot separating uh, the top bunch in the West Texas Derby. How about the uh, Sunburst Stakes on Sunday? That's going to be a 350-yard sprint compared to mm -hmm. the 400-yard sprint for the uh, for the Derby on Saturday. Kind of looks like it doves tails well for the shoe fly winner, which was over over the edge, and this horse beat uh, the best horses that day. Pretty much, we're talking about the same kind of runners. Maybe easier because this race is restricted to just fillies. So I like her even even more, especially at four to one. Once again, trainers are the main angle to winning money in horse racing. Whether you're a gambler, an owner, and Eric Valenzuela has proven for the last five years that he is a go-to trainer in stakes races. If Over the Edge does not win, maybe Sweetest Emotion could. Sweetest Emotion was about this far behind Over the Edge in the shoe fly, uh, about a neck behind. So she's really in the conversation, and her trainer is James J. Gonzalez III. How many times have we spoken about, you know, how good a trainer that young man is? So with those two horses, I think you have the key to the race. I'm excited about it, as always. Good stuff, Eric, giving us tips. And, Thank before, you, Steve. and then before you know it, next Friday, so March 8th, then we've got the Curbo and the Albert and Henry Dominguez Memorial. So, um, and that's going to be a fun day for thoroughbred racing fans. Hopefully, the Curbo will will fill. The Winston Lad did not. We're we're kind of you know crossing our fingers on that. It's it's been so hard to get open races to fill. You know, non New Mexico bred types. Oh, I'm sure the Albert and Henry Dominguez will fill with twelve because that race is restricted to New Mexico bred death thoroughbreds. But we're coming down to the, you know, the key part of the season with a lot of uh, season-ending championship races. Big news with the West Texas Futurity. Uh, the trials that day that we have for it could have as many as 17, wow. 18 trials in one day, and that's on March 17th. And I'll keep you posted as to what, what happens there. Look forward that to it. That would be a record, by the way. Oh, my God. I'd never heard anything like that before. That is unheard of around here. So It's unheard of. Yeah. That's like Riadosa does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is the 64th running of the West Texas Futurity. So yeah. there's hope. It's just that we need help in the open thoroughbred division. And somehow we're going to figure out a way to get it done. Because obviously, we're producing open horses mm -hmm. that can win. 
$20 million races. Why can't we have a few of them here? That's my question. Great stuff. Eric, we'll do it again next week. Thanks so much for the time here on Track Talk. Much too kind. He's Eric Alwyn, folks. Joins us each and every week here on Sports Talk with Track Talk from Sullivan Park Racetrack and Casino. Come back with plenty more. Stay with us. It's 600 ESPN El Paso. Man, you're just rolling the hits today. You're going foreigner? Man. And you're throwing out all the all the classic deep tracks today. <laughs> yeah. Time, time to freshen up our music. I agree with you completely. I love it. I think, listen, it's it's March 1st for crying out loud, you know? So, yeah. And and, and it's no knock on, on the songs that we've been playing for months or years, but it's they, we have so many great songs and we have so many great artists to choose from. I mean, there's no reason why we can't, uh, sh- you know, just give you a little, uh, little variety from time to time. Yeah, we uh, can flex our range here on Sports Talk. Yeah, I know I agree. Good to see Pinky dropping by to pick up those tickets. I'll be seeing him tonight. I'll be seeing Noah tonight. I'll see all of you tonight out at the Coliseum. Really excited about going out and checking out the boxing. And I was there last November when they came and looking forward to being there tonight. Uh, it just should be just a terrific night of fighting. It should definitely. And whenever we get local boxing here in El Paso, it's always a great thing. I mean, it just shows you and it reminds you of uh, this sport and what kind of potential it really has in this community. I feel like the community always embraces boxing, whether it's a a big pay-per-view coming into town or it's a fight like tonight, which is going to be exciting. Ring Wars. And I'm really excited for everybody who's going to be headed out there. Uh, Hopefully it's really cool. I mean, hopefully the the quality of the fights are, are pretty strong. I agree with you on that one. I'm excited for it. Um, Ring Wars 9, which, by the way, you know the um, abbreviation for 9 uh, using Roman numerals, right? Yeah. It's like um, it's like the I and the X. Yes, V-I, or yeah, exactly. On the tickets, V-I-I-I-I. Mm, that's okay. Is, yeah. that, is that even, is that even, <laughs> does that exist? I don't think so. I don't either. I love it. No, that's yeah. funny. It's okay. Ticketmaster and Roman numerals. Well, can you imagine if you have like Super Bowl nine and oh. you have tickets and and the ticket says Super Bowl V I I I I instead of uh, I X? Yeah, they got to go back to uh, the I Roman numerals. Yeah, get get those educated on oh that. My Come God, on, dude. I know, I know. If you're just joining us, hey, we talked UTEP hoops in the first hour. How's UTEP softball doing right now? What's the latest with that? Uh, eight nothing final. They beat. Texas State eight nothing after yes. beating Texas uh, Tech. Yes, beat Texas Tech three two, and then beat mm. uh, the Bobcats eight nothing. Gosh, they've had such a great non conference. I can't. I don't know about you, but I can't wait to see what they do in conference play. Yeah, I mean, this is the year, right? I mean, if they started off like this, if they beat quality teams, this is the year where they should shake up Conference USA and have some success. And uh, yeah, as far as local sports over the weekend, Steve, this is the big one to get excited about. We've got the two uh, basketball games tomorrow, one at the dawn with the women's basketball team taking on Liberty, and then on the road, uh, men taking on the Flames as well. And then we've also got Chapin Boys Basketball that's uh, about to start right now, the Region 1-5A tournament out of the state playoffs. And so they'll take on uh, a really tough opponent in Colleyville Heritage tonight. It's Wichita Falls. That's what when it's going to happen. Uh, tip-off is set for 6 o'clock local time. By the way, 
I mean, if Chapin wins today, then that means they've they've advanced as far as they did last year, correct? That is exactly right, yes. And so if they get into this uh, Elite Eight, I really feel like they've got a shot to go, uh, you know, at least to the Final Four. I really do. This is a great team right here, Steve. They're so loaded. They've gotten some really good support from some of their supporting cast members who don't really see the floor a lot this year. We know a lot about Brandon Himes. We know about Jaden Leverett. Those are the two standouts on this team. But if feels like they're getting contributions from their bench here late in the postseason, which is impressive. What a job Rodney Lewis has done. Let's, you know, I don't think he gets enough credit where credit's deserved. He has built a a, a nice little powerhouse year after year out of Chapin High. Yes, and he continues to get good talent. He continues to develop that talent, uh, and he continues to have guys who are actually showing out in uh, college basketball as well. I mean, Manny Flores is playing right now, I believe for Sol Ross, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, K.J. Lewis, of course, you see what he's doing at Arizona. He's killing it uh, for the Wildcats yep. for a team who's going to be, uh, or who is right now in the top 10 of all of college basketball, and K.J. Lewis plays real minutes for that team right behind Caleb Love. So he comes off as a Six man as a true freshman. Uh, Antoine Holmes is on UTEP's roster right now, walk on on their team. Uh, they like what he does on their scout team and what he's been able to do for their team. And Leverett is going to be their next Division One prospect. He's already got an offer from the likes of UTEP, the likes of even New Mexico State and Texas A&M Corpus Christi. So that program over there, Chapin, they've done an amazing job of uh, fostering excellent talent and uh, putting out some really good teams who actually make it far in the Texas State playoffs. So what you're telling me is that the future is bright. Very bright. Yeah, I mean, they bring back Leverett next year, but this is the team right here. I, I think that the window of opportunity to make a run, maybe all the way to the Final Four, and I don't want to jinx anything for tonight. I mean, Colleyville Heritage, this is a really tough game. Chapin's been um, overwhelming favorites. I mean, maybe not the last round, but they've been favorites in about every single playoff game they've been in. This one, they're the underdogs. Colleyville Heritage, this is a fantastic team. I think uh, Chapin does have a chance to win tonight, but it'll be close just like the last game was close for this Huskies group. So uh, this is a Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex team. Uh, They actually were just behind Denton Ryan, who's one of the best in 5A, and uh, this is going to be a really, really tough one. They've got a 6'11", power forward, Tim Finau, who averages 10.7 rebounds a game. 6'11"? Yes, Jaden Leverett's tall too, so he's six foot nine. So six foot eleven versus six foot nine. Let's see what happens. Do we have a good pipeline in the future? By the way, Chapin, is this the kind of program that over the next few years Rodney is going to continue to have uh, terrific talent? Come yes, through? yes, he's got some young talent, but also Andrews has some great talent too. So it's going to be northeast battles between uh, the Eagles and the Huskies for years to come. Both of them have uh, that great young talent that's rising for Love sure. It. So yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what happens tonight. Colleyville Harris versus Chapin. All right. And uh, Chapin, the last team left in the high school baseball, uh, basketball playoffs. But, uh, man, they could, uh, again, continue this run. And if they win tonight, you tell me, as underdogs, then sky's the limit, right? Yes, that's right. Actually, the winners would actually play tomorrow uh, in the morning. And so if they have a chance, they can have a chance to, if they win that one, it's uh, Final Four action in San Antonio. By the way, I hate that. I I can't stand the fact that these teams have to play two games 
in like 16 or 17 hours. It should that's just right. that's just not right. You should give them at least 24 hours rest before they have to tip off again. It just doesn't seem right. Yeah, that's really tough right there. I mean, that's extreme. I mean, first off, Chapin just making the trip out to Wichita Falls. Yep. That's a, a bus ride in itself. Mm-hmm. Then you're talking about playing two games in less than 24 hours. Yeah, that's, that's grueling on the body. Middle of the show as we continue. When we return. There's a very interesting meeting today involving uh, one Green Bay Packers running back that El Pasoans have, have loved since day one, and it could very well impact his future with the franchise. We'll tell you about it right after Adrian uh, returns with SportsCenter. Bottom of the hour as we continue. According to one Tom Silverstein from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, He reported this afternoon that Green Bay Packer officials have met with um, Drew Rosenhaus, the agent for Aaron Jones at the NFL Scouting Combine, hoping to reach agreement on a salary cap cut that would make the final year of his contract less burdensome to their cap. According to the story and according to a source, the Packers and Rosenhaus are trying to get to a number that would satisfy the team's desire to lower his salary cap number. Um, How they would reduce the salary cap number remains to be seen and part of future discussions. But as Silverstein says, the bottom line is the Packers want Aaron Jones back. If they cannot reach an agreement in the next two weeks, the Packers would release him and hope whoever they are offering isn't matched uh, on the open market. Um, So that would be interesting. But they also risk losing Aaron Jones to another team. So. They're going to try to work with Rosenhaus to find a way to negotiate a cap reduction. And in case you're wondering, Jones is scheduled to earn a base salary of $11 million plus a per-game roster bonus worth a maximum of $258,824 and a workout bonus of half a million dollars. So um, they want to cut his cap number because of the six games that Jones missed last season and some of the others with the hamstring and knee injuries. So remember... He had that torn left MCL and then came back and had 300-yard games to end the season. And the playoffs had two more 100-yard games and had three touchdowns in that win over Dallas. So it's going to be really interesting. Look, Aaron Jones has worked with the Packers his whole career. He has said from day one he wants to be a Green Bay Packer for life. He's also about to be 30 years old. you got to understand something. What Aaron Jones has done in Green Bay is is the minority, meaning that most superstar running backs are not about to turn 30 with the same team that drafted them out of college. By now, they're usually on their second or third team. Case in point, Dalvin Cook, Ezekiel Elliott, and the list goes on and on. Plus, the free agent class this year is absolutely stacked. Look, prediction time. I think they'll find a way to make it work. I don't think Aaron Jones ever wants to leave Green Bay as long as the Packers are reasonable. As long as they don't try to lowball him to where it's something that they can't, you know, that can't make sense. You know, Rosenhaus is the kind of agent that if Aaron Jones says to him, "Hey, look, Drew, I want to stay in Green Bay. I know you might be able to get more money elsewhere, but I'm, I'm that's my home. That's where I want to be. Um, I've got a good situation." I just feel like that is what will end up happening. I don't see 
Aaron Jones being released in two weeks. Me neither. I don't. I see them prolonging this. And to your point, I think the guy who actually uh, gets the the um, the bad end of this whole situation will be AJ Dillon. He'll probably be the one released from the Packers. They'll have to find a complementary back to uh, coexist with Aaron Jones. And we've seen exactly what you said, Steve. They've really worked with him in the past. In 2022, he only was a 5.9 million dollar cap hit. Last year, a seven $8 million cap hit. I would expect them to restructure this deal. $17 million for a cap hit. That is steep. If you can actually uh, spread that out over the next two, three years, sign him to a longer term deal and ensure him that he'll be within this organization and that he'll have some money coming his way as well. I think that makes the most sense out of this whole situation. I'd be really surprised to see them release Aaron Jones, especially how he closed out the year yep. when it really mound- mattered and when it was the postseason. And by the way, I think that A.J. Dillon's getting released no matter what. I don't think Dillon comes back even if they cut Jones. I feel like that decision's already been made. Isn't it interesting how they drafted Jamal Williams thinking he would be the workhorse back and Aaron Jones proved to be the guy? Then they draft A.J. Dillon a few years later hoping to take the role of the workhorse back over from Aaron Jones and Aaron stayed that guy. I, I I find it funny because the Packers probably never expected to get the kind of years and mileage out of Jones like they have. And knowing how good he was late in the season, it goes to show you that age is just a number with him. And even though some believe that they'll draft a running back this year to assume the mantle of that you know that everyday guy from Aaron Jones, which makes the most sense. Why should Jones suddenly feel like he's slowing down when every time the ball's in his hands, big things always happen? Yeah, and if you really think about it, I mean, even drafted in the fifth round the way that he was, he's really had to prove everybody wrong since day one. And he's kind of had the odds stacked against him throughout his career in this situation, at least from a business perspective, drafting A.J. Dillon. He's got to be the guy. Give him more touches. See what he could do in the red zone. See how healthy and durable he can be, which has been put in question. He hasn't been as productive as Aaron Jones. It's no question about it. Jones is productive when he's on the field, when he's healthy. He's he's uh, one of the best players who could play for the Packers, especially as they're going on this rebuild. He could be the veteran in the locker room that everybody sees and says, hey, look, we can look up to this guy right here uh, to be you know the guy that we n- you know lean on in these situations, adverse situations, stuff like that. So I don't think that you can really put a price tag on that, and yep. I think that that's why they'll end up working with Aaron Jones on the steal. Not to mention leadership skills. Not to mention the guy that always has everybody's back from day one. Has never uh, been you know given any other type of role. He's been a leader since he stepped on the field. And that's what I love about him. Most running backs don't have that kind of leadership role. Aaron Jones, has. it's almost like he's a quarterback. He's just taken that on his shoulders to be the leader of the team. And has since he was drafted. I'll tell you this much too, okay? Usually, usually, when dominant college players go pro, they don't make the pro game look as easy as they did when they were in college. I've always said since day one, when you watch Aaron Jones run in the NFL, there's no difference 
between what he's done in the NFL and what he did at UTEP. It is so rare because you always say to yourself, well, they're bigger, they're faster, they're stronger. You're going to need to make adjustments. You're going to need to do this or that. And you'll never be able to dominate games the way you dominated in college. I've often felt watching Aaron Jones that when I see him with the Packers and what he does to NFL defenses was exactly like what he did carving up Conference USA defenses for for, uh, the time he was at UTEP. And it, it just blows me away that he's had the same kind of success like we saw here and really never struggled running the ball throughout his career in the NFL. Yeah, if you think about it, also with uh, you reflect back to the 2017 draft class. Leonard Fournette goes to Jacksonville real early. Christian McCaffrey, uh, he gets selected by the Panthers very early on. I think those two guys are also great examples, like Aaron Jones, of guys who had success in college and translated it to the NFL. But I would say Aaron Jones is better, has had a better NFL career than Leonard Fournette, despite Leonard Fournette having a Super Bowl ring under his belt. Christian McCaffrey, you could say he's the best running back in the league. No one's arguing that right yes. there. But I would say Aaron's had success in his own lane. He didn't need to be Christian McCaffrey. McCaffrey uh, got dealt away over to the 49ers and helped them make a Super Bowl run. But he's had durability questions his entire career. Aaron Jones has been more durable than you know somebody like Christian McCaffrey. Uh, it's true. I mean, time in, you look at the number of games played since they were drafted, I would feel like Aaron's played in more games. I have to double-check that, but I think you're right on that. All right, 20 in front of six. We've got Locomotive uh, FC, you know, El Paso Locomotive FC, one of their newcomers, coming by the studio within the next 20 minutes. He'll lead off our 6 o'clock hour. We'll take you right up until uh, 7, and then we wrap things up and get you ready for the weekend. It's been a fun show so far, and uh, we are just past the midway point, so a lot more in store. Stay with us. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. Back here on Sports Talk as we continue. 48 now past the hour. 505-6009, our telephone number. Saw this question from Pinky. It's a good one, too, and I think it needs to be mentioned because you really kind of help, you know you want to answer this the right way. But Pinky asks... Will we ever see a Texas UIL any sport regional final in El Paso? Just asking for a friend. El Paso high school fans get the short end each year. What do you think, Adrian? Can we ever see that? Uh, probably not for basketball, knowing the proximity issues. I mean, it, it doesn't make it any fair for uh, any more fair for anybody here in El Paso who has to travel hours and hours on end. Whereas if you're in the Metroplex, you're in Austin, you're in San Antonio, you're in Houston, not a crazy bus ride like it would be El Paso going to one of those cities right mm. there. And that has to be factored in. I mean, that's tough for these teams. It's not like everybody can just say, I want to uh, have a hotel room for all my players the night before some of these programs can't do that so they they have to go either day of or maybe you know try to get there early so that their players can get as much rest as possible so it's just tough for everybody in El Paso to have to travel I don't I'm not as optimistic about that being a reality especially since if El Paso ever was able to get some kind of regional final then everybody's going to complain about coming all the way over here right. because it's not close to anywhere. And that's that's the toughest part is that, you know, you look at schools from like Fort Worth and Houston and San Antonio and uh, to a lot of those schools, uh, Austin and, and Wichita Falls and some of the other places. Well, I mean, it's it's 
you know, El Paso just does get the short end of the stick based on its location. And unfortunately, considering there's really nothing close to here, it's it's just um, uh, it's 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 just the way it is. I mean, you right. can't do anything. You know, the only two facility or the two facilities would be the top facilities for a project like this would be Bel Air or Eastwood. So they would mm-hmm. have, I, I feel like, the top facilities to host uh, something like that. And then, of course, imagine having it at the Don Haskins Center. That would be really cool uh, to do something like that there. Be amazing. What if you did the Don Haskins Center or Memorial Gym? Right. Imagine. I mean, I would. I'm just all for just period. More basketball in Memorial Gym. We need to see yep. more basketball. Whether it's uh, the men's team, the women's team, just playing a one-off over there. Hey, if you're going to play these exhibition games, why not make it in the Memorial Gym? It's always fun to go out there. But it's expensive to rent it, and I don't know if if um, UIL would want to spend the money to do it. I don't know what kind of a deal. Maybe Wichita Falls gives them a sweet deal and cuts them. In nice break right and maybe it's just easier for and maybe also some of these teams are willing hey i know that you're coming from west texas you're gonna have to go on a certain hour bus ride so let's do it at wichita falls so it's kind of in between the metroplex dallas area and uh, some of these west texas schools whether it's uh, el paso or whether it's midland any of those types you know, it'd be great. Would be if um, if the UIL would commit to come here, if they would build a facility to house what they need, and now all of a sudden you could see uh, construction for the kind of venue that would suit uh, something like this. Yeah, that's a really good point in itself. I mean, it's it also goes back to the arena talk, right? And what you could ha- potentially host if you end up um, building something that is in the city of El Paso, they could host events like this. And then you can actually go to, you have a seat at the table, say, hey, we have these facilities. We can bring you into this system. You That's know, true. And, and something like this. That is a good point. All right, look, um, as we, we talk about uh, some of the high school dreams of Pinky and other fans, uh, we are also going to have uh, a new member of El Paso Locomotive FC joining us on the show here coming up in a few and uh, one of the latest acquisitions, he is part of the the uh, all new defense that has uh, a new look to a lot of new players on the de- on the uh, defensive side for 2024. And by the way, I don't know if you saw this or not, Adrian, but Paso Locomotive FC dropped a new jersey, uh, the primary jersey for Ooh, this year. I, I got to check that out. I'm a big jersey guy. We are all big jersey guys on this show, so uh, I got to check that out. Um, we have a we've been uh, blessed to have a lot of great Locomotive FC guests over the past couple of weeks, Steve. And next week, I know we're going to get head coach uh, Brian Clarhot to stop by, and Andrew Forrest might make a stop by as well. So I'm now just seeing these jerseys, and I love them. Wow, they did a great job on these. Right a lot here. of people think when they see these jerseys, they like them a lot too. That there's, uh, it's just the design, the color scheme, everything about them uh, just looks uh, just looks really good. Yeah, they did a great job. I love the lines. I love the incorporation, the subtle incorporation of the yellow on the collar. I think that's a, a fresh look. And the base being navy, gold, uh, navy blue, just sign me up for that. Yeah, I agree with you. So we'll get a chance to talk a little uh, Locomotive FC coming up in our final hour of the program and then get you ready for the weekend. Remember, UTEP uh, playing uh, Liberty tomorrow at 1 o'clock. That's senior day for the ladies. 
Um, I'm heading out to the arena tomorrow. I'm looking forward to seeing the final game of the regular season for Keitha and company at home before they hit the road uh, next Thursday for their final game before the start of conference tournament action. And then the men will be playing about four hours later uh, against Liberty. And these are big games. I mean, you know, listen, men want to try to, to win their second road game in a row and upset Liberty. And remember, the men were uh, were underdogs yesterday against Jacksonville State. They were a five-and-a-half-point underdog in that one. Yeah, I expect uh, probably the same margin, maybe even more yep. for Liberty here uh, tomorrow. So let's see what that line looks like. I was thinking seven or eight maybe. Yeah, we'll that's see probably what, right. See what happens. All right, so two hours down, one to go. We'll come back. We'll talk some Locomotive FC uh, in a moment. Stay with us. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. As we continue, I'm excited about our uh, next guest. He's uh, joining us, making his first trip here to the show. Bolo Wakanyode is one of the newest members of El Paso Locomotive FC. He is uh, a defensive midfielder. Wow, a defensive midfielder. Sound familiar? That's exactly what Brandon Craig was when he joined us last week. And now Bolu gets a chance to say hello to us on the program. First off, we've been talking a lot during the break. It's good to meet you, and uh, thanks so much for stopping by today. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Of course, the pleasure is mine. Thank you for having me. Well, first off, um, I'm excited about your arrival here in El Paso with Locomotive FC. Um, this is a team that has been um, among the better expansion teams since they debuted, uh, what, almost seven years ago now in USL. And uh, I think more than anything, a lot of us are excited to see players like yourself who have, you know, you've, you've been around USL for many, many years, and now you have the opportunity to spend uh, your first time uh, here uh, with uh, Locomotive FC. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Uh, I remember when the, the club first came around and actually watched games and, and saw how the community took to the team and how it got fans and engagement and stuff. So it's always a place that I've always thought was special. And the team had success, don't get me wrong, like conference finals and all mm-hmm. that good stuff. So I'm excited to be here and add to that history. Meanwhile, uh, for fans that are not familiar with your story, Bolo, you've got a pretty unique situation. So I wanted to tell everybody about kind of uh, your origins, where you grew up, and what brought you here to the States. Yeah, I was born in Nigeria, Lagos, Nigeria. Um, lived there until I was 10, and then I moved over to the States, New York City, to be exact, with my mom and my siblings, uh, three older brothers and a younger sister, but I moved with one older brother and a younger sister. So it was just kind of us. I uh, grew up there. We came to the States for, for a better life, for opportunity, and and luckily, we've been able to achieve that amongst me and my siblings. Well, first off, you got a good New York accent. It's still you haven't lost that yet. So congratulations, <laughs> that's you. that's still there. Uh, when you came over stateside, did you always gravitate to soccer, or did you play other sports as well as a kid? No, it's always been soccer. Um, and I joke around with a lot of my friends like I suck out of the sports. Uh, so it was soccer, 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 and soccer is a big, big part of the Nigerian culture. And and that's what we did growing up. Honestly, we're obsessed with it, being fans, playing on the streets, playing for teams, and then. When I came to America, it was just adjusting and finding a team to play for. What was soccer like in New York City, knowing you've got baseball, football, basketball, hockey? There's so many sports that kids play growing up uh, in you know the, the New York City area. So how big is soccer when you really look at the, uh, the boroughs of Manhattan and, and New York and, and where everything is? No, it wasn't. Honestly, when I first came, it was not big. I actually spent... I'd say a year and a half, almost two years not playing at all just because they weren't, it wasn't very accessible. Um, everyone played basketball. I actually tried to play basketball at the time, but I was terrible at it. 
Um, but yeah, it wasn't super accessible. But luckily, my older brother, he met a friend in school um, that was playing for a club team in Brooklyn. And that's how we we're kind of able to get playing again and found parks and teams and people and stuff and get rolling. But it's definitely grown a ton from when I first moved to the States, which was 20, 20 years ago now. So yeah. it's grown, and I think it's definitely a lot more accessible now than it was back then. So Brooklyn was the key. Brooklyn had the club team. That got you guys started. And then um, did you find that I – because mean, I know soccer is huge in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of teams that play competitive out there. And then really the whole East Coast after that, you have Massachusetts, and yep. you start to look Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's growing. You're, it's probably – one of the fastest growing sports in the northeast part of the country because yeah. of the popularity of MLS. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's, it's funny you say that because I spent a lot of my time playing in New Jersey. So initially I played for a team in Brooklyn called the Brooklyn Patriots, and I found an ad for the New York Red Bull Academy, and the, they were all set up in New Jersey. So then I went out there with my brother and went for trials and wound up playing majority of my youth soccer in New Jersey, actually. So tremendous amount of talent. Um, it's funny, two of my teammates now, we grew up playing on my first ever team on my U14 team in New York. Really? Yeah, yeah. So that that's been really cool to kind of have things call f- come full circle. Almost twenty, thirty years old now. And we started playing at fourteen together, so wow. that that's nice to see. When you reflect back on choosing to go to Seton Hall after your youth career with uh, New York, how was what was that decision like right there? Was that the ultimate opportunity at that point for you, or were you trying to get out to the MLS or, or things like that and play professional soccer here in the States? Yeah, I think for me, at the time, I was 16 years old, like, I wanted to be a pro and I wanted to play professional and there was so much talent on our youth academy and maybe there was an opportunity for me to kind of train with the first team and go there but education has been so big to my mom and to my family and that was the entire reason why we came here so when I had the opportunity to go to college and still play soccer and get a scholarship and I think it was a no-brainer for me and my family. We're talking right now with Abolo Wakanyode here on Sports Talk. He is a defender for El Paso Locomotive FC. So we're looking at uh, everything you've had a chance to do. Uh, the Red Bulls you mentioned. You played for Bethlehem Steel FC, North Carolina FC, Nashville SC, Birmingham Legion. The last uh, three seasons with Miami FC, and now here you are in El Paso. So you are a, a well-traveled, seasoned vet over uh, these years with USL, which means you've played a lot of Eastern Conference uh, action, and now you're really going to be getting a good taste of uh, what the Western Conference is like here in El Paso. Yeah, for sure. And I think that was one of the things in my decision is I wanted to experience the West because I'd never played out West uh, for a team. Um, and El Paso was a no-brainer for me after talking with Brian and, and Ray and the guys on the coaching staff. So I'm excited to be here. I'm really excited for the season. Bola, were there other uh, clubs in USL that were interested in bringing you over and uh, wanted to try and, and add you to their roster this offseason? Yeah, there were a few teams. Um, but like I said, the conversations with Ray and, and Brian and swayed my decision. But yeah, there are definitely a few teams. All right, so you arrive here in El Paso. You're seeing a roster that has a lot of newcomers. Uh, you mentioned some of those uh, just uh, in your answer with players you grew up with in the East Coast. What was your first impression when you went on the pitch for the first time and saw your teammates? Yeah, it was special. I think looking at our roster and, and you looking at the things that a lot of guys have achieved individually, um, there's no doubt that we have a talented team. Um, and, and it's special to play with some of these guys and looking at guys that I grew up playing with and we had the dream to play professional. To actually do it together at this point in my career is a, it's a special thing for me. I'm sure. Um, and then I know defensively, I've, the one thing I noticed is you have a lot of size. It seems like it is a large group of of uh, defenders. Uh, a lot of you guys are six or six feet or taller, and I could just tell that that's one of the things Brian likes. He likes big, 
you know, big, strong uh, defensive uh, defensive players. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that's one thing that's necessary. If you look at the teams that have won the league in the past, they've, they've had size, they've had strength, but they've also guys who can play with the ball and guys who are technical, which Brian likes a lot too. So you've got to be able to mix it up and do both because the game requires a lot of different things. How different do you see the MLS and the USL in terms of talent and competition? I think it's not as different as people think. And if you look at results in the Open Cup in the past, you see that USL teams compete and they're right there with them. But I do think in MLS, you get the special players, the top, top, top players, obviously. You have the, the Hany Mokhtars in Nashville and the guys who are very, very special, obviously, goes without saying. There's Messi, there's Busquets, there's Alba. But those type caliber players, you see. But I think from there on, you look at the rosters. I think USL teams can compete with most MLS teams when given a chance. Do you think, Bolu, that in years to come, because Messi now and we're starting to see other players follow his lead, that we'll get more and more European stars that as they get older, and I don't want to say necessarily past their prime, but they want to keep playing, yet they might not be as... Um, dominant as they were in their younger years, MLS and the attractiveness of coming to the United States for the check and, and helping to put butts in the seats could make sense to a lot of uh, some of the best players around the world. Yeah, I think if you look in the past, you see the Steven Gerrards and Jared Pereira, Frank Rampards, you've seen those kind of guys come when they're past their prime, but I think what's interesting now is you're getting younger players um, who aspire to go to Europe and they're coming to MLS, like Miguel Almiron, he spent some time um, with Atlanta United and won it and did well, and now he's playing in the Premier League. So I think you're going to get more of kind of the 23 to 25-year-olds who want to make the move because more eyes are watching American soccer and seeing the progress being made here. So that's a good thing. Bolo Akinyode with us here on Sports Talk in studio as we continue. So as far as your style of game, give our listeners a little bit of an idea about what you bring to the mix and kind of your skill set and how that'll fit into the puzzle this season here in El Paso. Definitely a lot of aggression. Um, good defender, a competitor. I'm someone that likes to compete. I hate to lose. I hate to lose. I hate to give up goals. So I think you see a lot of passion, a lot of aggression, a lot of competitiveness, and a guy who's calm on the ball as well, too, and understands the game and likes to play. Are you also somebody who uh, enjoys taking that free kick and uh, would like to uh, to try to put one in the net from time to time? My my track record doesn't say so, so but I think more stopping the goal than scoring the goals for sure. Okay, and then, by, by the way, I'm just curious. So when you started playing this sport uh, here in the states, were you always on the defensive side of the ball, or were you more of an attacker? No, I was more of an attacker. I started off like as a winger or someone closer to the goal, and as time goes on I kind of got pulled back and further back further back so you tell me was that as you started growing more and more or you know how does that how does that work I think growing and naturally like my aggression I was good defensively I was good at winning the ball back and I, I enjoyed doing that stuff so naturally I just got closer to defending more than attacking have you ever had the desire to try to play on the Nigerian national team and maybe uh, compete uh, in the Olympics, the World Cup, or some of the other uh, qualifiers out there? Yeah, that was something that would be special to me. But I think our national team this pool is so big and there's so many different players. Uh, it's been tough to get that look, but something that, that would be incredible for me. I mean, I, I'm, I was just wondering about just the quality of, of Nigeria as a national team. How do they rank with, uh, with, you know, with some of the other teams that we're, we're used to watching around that time no, of year? They're, they're, they're a team that's usually in the World Cup for the most part. They're a team that the African Cup of Nations just finished. They made it to the finals. And historically, they're one of, they've won an Olympic gold medal. So they're definitely one of the best in Africa for sure and, and a team that's around there in the world. So they're, they're a top team. As far as uh, your accomplishments uh, so far uh, over your years in USL, have you played uh, for a USL championship in the past? I've not played in the finals, no. I've been on teams that have competed and been 
I think the furthest I made it to was a conference semifinal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been on teams that have done quite well. Um, but I've never made it to a final, no. But you've also seen this league grow from when you first started to where it is right now. And it seems like USL is probably the fastest growing league uh, in, in all of professional soccer. Yeah, 100%. They've done an incredible job. I think my rookie year, my even just the amount of teams, the amount of markets they've tapped into, the stadiums that are being built. I mean, like you look at Louisville Stadium, it's incredible. It's a beautiful stadium. So I think the growth of the league has been tremendous to watch from back then to now. Um, it's a great vision, and it, I think we're still going in the right direction, even like the expansion to USL League One. It's been something special, honestly, to witness. Now, when you started playing, who did you um, who did you kind of model your game after in the beginning? Did you have certain players that you, you really idolized and thought, man, this is part of the reason why I want to play this? Yeah, I think there's, from the Nigerian national team, there was a guy, Jejo Kocha, who was great. Um, I enjoyed watching him. He was more of an entertainer. And guys like Yaya Toure, there was similar body type and physique as well, uh, Paul Pogba. All those guys, I think, definitely inspired me and pushed me pushed me on and, and wanted to be like them and do some of the things that they did on the field. So you didn't mention Messi and Ronaldo, which is good, because that's, that's the easiest answer that most people will say. They yeah. see Messi, they see Ronaldo, and I'm sure there'll be that great debate going on for years, wondering who's uh, if, if you're going to pick between those two, the GOAT, uh, who would you give the edge to? <sighs> I, so... Ronaldo, I enjoyed watching growing up because he played for my favorite team, Manchester United. But I think Messi is is just more of a natural talent in football. It's probably a bigger entertainer if you look at their two body of work. But I don't like to compare the two. I think both are special in their own realm. And I think we're witnessing something that we'll probably never witness again in professional sports. This is a weird question, but how are you adjusting to mountain time zone right now? Uh, just the new time change. You've always you, you mentioned it. You've always played on the eastern kind of coast. You played a little for Nashville as well. Uh, but what what is it like playing in the mountain time zone right now? Yeah, no, it's definitely different. It's something I didn't consider honestly until I moved here. Um, but even like little things like talking to my family, I have to call them a lot earlier because they're two hours in front of me. Um, but it's been all right. Personally, I've adjusted well, but. Uh, I think it'll be different because people back home to watch me play and, and, and my friends and stuff, they're on yeah. the other side of the town, but it's good. Now, how long have you been in town for? Uh, I got here January 4th. Okay, so you just finished, like two months or yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. Have you had a chance to enjoy some of the food that El Paso offers? I have. I've gone to different restaurants and stuff, and it's been good. It's been good. Okay. I was going to ask you if you like Mexican food. I do. I do. Then, I, then you've picked a good spot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. No, the food's been good. I think that's one of the things that I, I've enjoyed the most, like the food and the restaurant. It's really good. I don't think I've been to a restaurant that I didn't enjoy so far. Good. Um, we asked you about the defensive side of the ball earlier in the back three. Well, tell me a little bit about this team in general. I mean, should we expect to see a team that's going to score a lot of goals, a lot of uh, attackers and, and players that can finish and put the ball in the net? Yeah, I think you see a team that's aggressive. I think you see a team that likes to be dominant and in control of games on the ball. I think you see a team that likes to score. It's a lot of talent on this team. Um, you look at guys like Amando Moreno, Joaquin Rivas, Justin Dillon. Like, these are guys... Um, to me, like these are guys that can put the ball past a the line. They're entertaining, entertaining guys and guys who can who can make things happen for, for for this team. How about your goalkeeper? Good, Jamali's good. He's a good keeper. It's it's awesome because actually he was in the academy at Philadelphia when I was on Bethlehem. So I watched him <laughs> kind of grow into himself, and I thought he had an excellent year last year. And he's he's someone that's really really good. 
Okay, so you're familiar with him, and um, I'm sure you're familiar with a lot of players on this roster. Uh, is there going to be a lot of competition trying to uh, break that starting rotation uh, for Brian and, and uh, you know, make sure that you kind of keep yourself in that, uh, that starting lineup, match in, match out? 100%. I think you look down the roster, every single player can be a starter for, for this team and for any USL team in the league. So I think it's a lot of competition. It's good. I think Brian will have a lot of headaches um, after preseason and all that stuff. But that's what you need. You need competition. Competition is what makes you grow. Um, competition is what keeps the team intact and keeps everyone on their toes. So I think we'll see that for sure. Bolo, when you're not playing, and you're not practicing or training, what are you doing? Tell me a little bit about life off the pitch and what you like to do. Yeah, I like to read. I like to write a little bit. I think I've grown uh, and trying to push that and be a writer and, and just constantly think about different things and I see the world in an interesting way. So I think that's that's something that's good. And I'm also looking um, at life ahead. I'm studying for my coaching license right now. So yeah, a lot of I, I keep busy in the time that I'm not playing. So the point is, you could see yourself coaching this sport uh, once your playing days are over. Yes, hundred percent. Do you like working with youngsters? Yes and no. <laughs> I think the ones that are passionate, the one that love the game, yes, hundred uh, percent. But soccer is such a special thing because it brings so many different people. And I look at all the friends and people that I've made along the way. Um, maybe there were people that I played with that were good at it, but they weren't as passionate as me. You know, so. Um, I think it's understanding that as well, too, and, and all the different nuances that come with it. So, Well, um, meanwhile, it's funny that you say that because there's so many more distractions now for youngsters than there used to be, whether it's gaming, social media, and everything else. I think it almost takes uh, really – you have to appreciate uh, the commitment today from youngsters that decide they really want to dedicate their lives uh, to trying to be the best they could possibly be and, and one day play this at, the, at a professional level. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a lot of sacrifice. It's a lot of being away from your friends, your family. It's a lot of choosing, honestly, the pain that comes with it, whether it's running, whether it's being in the gym or – the, the, those moments, you have to choose that over the pleasure moments, right? Like going to prom. Or like I didn't go to prom. I miss a lot of parties and times with my friends because I wanted to do this. But there's nothing more in the world that I wanted to do than play soccer and kick a ball and run around. Now, you said writing. Um, would you like to eventually uh, either write a book or what, what uh, for you, what appeals most about being a writer? Yeah, I think expressing myself. It's given me a way to kind of sit and think and be introspective a little bit and, and use and exercise different parts of my brain that I don't when I play soccer. So I think eventually the goal down the line is to write a book. Um, definitely still far off of it yet, but rough around the edges, but something I'm working towards. Excellent. Do we have any idea at all what kind of a book you'd like to write? Would it be a story of your career, your life? Would it be just writing a nonfiction or a fiction book, a novel? What are we thinking here? I think a story of my life, a cross path of my career and how yeah. soccer has impacted me, but also how I've navigated that and story of my family and just everything intertwined. I think um, it's something I definitely still have to think of, but it definitely will be about my life. I love that. I think that's great, and I'm excited for you, and I think that's uh, something a lot of fans are going to be excited about. Um, meanwhile, when we see you on the pitch, you kind of gave us a little preview of uh, what to expect. The jerseys dropped today. Give me your thoughts on the primary jerseys you're going to be wearing for the uh, 2024 season. Oh, no, I love it. I love it. I love the look of it. I love the color. That navy, that blue is good. It's great. I think it's a great fit as well, too, so I'm excited for it. All right. Excellent stuff. Good to meet you. Thanks, Thanks for stopping by. Uh, Hartford's right around the corner. Before you know it, we've got the season starting up, and uh, man, I think uh, fans are going to be really excited about the 2024 uh, Locomotive roster. As they should be. I think it'll be good. Uh, I think hopefully we can bring a trophy back to um, El Paso. Bolo, great to meet you. Thank you. you Thanks for it. having me. He's Bolo Acanode, folks. Defensive midfielder for El Paso Locomotive FC. Come back with more. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso.
far so good for Chapin. They've got a 15-12 lead. Just under five minutes left to play in the second quarter. Trying to advance out of Wichita Falls. Wichita Falls, by the way, doing a nice job on the um, the cast for this one. I like this, guys. You found the YouTube cast. It looks really good. Colleyville at the line right now for some free throws and trying to uh, cut into that Chapin lead. I love this Chapin defense, man. They're ferocious. Uh, doesn't matter if their opponents in Colleyville have a six foot eleven guy in center uh, who's on the floor. I like how uh, this Chapin team has been throwing out different defenses uh, to try to stop him. And in fact, once they subbed out, uh, I'm talking about Colleyville subbed out their six eleven guy. That's when Jaden Leverett, who is six foot nine, subbed in for Chapin. So let's see what they can do to close out this first half. El Paso Visuals with a question I wish I could answer, but I can't. He said, uh, guys, do you know if Chapin went from Midland to Wichita Falls or did they come home and then get on the bus again a day later? Man, that would be tough travel. I would hope that they stayed there or somewhere nearby because that travel sounds pretty, um, yeah, that's, that sounds uh, tough on these players. So I hope that they were able to stay out there. I'm going to try to look on their social media account to see if they have anything. You know, I can see the uh, Colleyville size, but you know what? I mean, Chapin looks like when you look at their size too, and the way they match up, it, uh, it it's favorable. And by the way, they're playing in uh, a coliseum in Wichita Falls that looks like it houses a hockey team because Adrian, I see the white boards yeah. over there uh, beyond the bench area, and that's uh, those are hockey boards. So it probably was converted. For um, they call it, it's the K Yeager um, K K Yeager College, and that's where they're playing right now in Wichita Falls. Yeah, that uh, is real interesting in itself, Steve. I love this big man matchup that we're seeing right now. By the way, six foot eleven versus six foot nine, two guys who are just going at it, and uh, it seems like um, the Colleyville uh, top big man. He's got some skill to him as well. I really like Jaden Leverett. Like we mentioned earlier in the show, he's a D one prospect. Um, but you're right. I mean, for them to get to play in this kind of environment, um, I love the arena. I like the little, uh, you know, little quirk to it the fact that it probably or that it houses a hockey team and the fact that there are two quality teams playing there that's a pretty cool thing too who has offered leverett so far as i watch him uh, play in the post uh, he actually has been offered by UTEP, um, which is interesting, and he's been offered by New Mexico State, and he's been offered by Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Okay, and he is a senior this year, or is he a junior? Junior, so he'll be back next year. Okay, that's interesting. And by the way, if you're Jaden Leverett, I, I guess you just wait to see it during the summer circuit if you get more offers, and then you have the opportunity to uh, continue to uh, you know make your decision, and he might keep growing, or do you think 6'9 is where he's going to max out. Maybe he will. I've been. I've asked that question too. Um, people are unsure when I've asked that question in the past. So uh, I, I've also seen um, Texas Tech show interest in Leverett. So that's something to also keep an eye on if he actually gets an offer from them. That's Grant McCaslin out there. So he definitely, you know, McCaslin would like some size like Leverett offers. 
Sure he would. Um, he would love that. And that's what, that's also kind of interesting, speaking of McCaslin, just because of the situation earlier this week against Texas. They got the, you know, Texas got the win, but there was some serious controversy out there in Lubbock in the process. Right. Uh, they've been, they were throwing things on yep. the court that entire game, and he had to go on the mic, McCaslin did, uh, to try to tell everybody, hey, get, stop throwing things on uh, to the court. So I thought that was pretty funny. I mean, you know, he, uh, he actually had to jump on the mic right there uh, to go out and say that kind of stuff. Really interesting. I feel like that's happened before at UTEP. Not fans throwing things on the court, but I can't remember the situation, but I feel years ago that one of our basketball coaches got on the mic to talk to the fans. I feel like that's correct. I, maybe it was like on the court or something like that, but I feel like that's right. I feel like I remember this as well. Hmm. The problem is for me, it's been there's been so many it, there's so many games, so many years. It's all one. The last twenty eight years has been one big blur. That's the problem. I know it wasn't Don Haskins. I don't think it was Jason Rabideau. It might have been Billy Gillespie or Doc Sadler. Um, I just I'm not a hundred percent sure. It's one of those things where yeah. But I feel like it had it has happened on one other occasion over the years. Sometimes when it happens, it's also a little cringe, right? Because mm. the coach has to do something they're not uh, comfortable in doing and hopping on the mic yeah. in front of the whole crowd to tell them something. Yeah, it's usually not a good thing. Well, especially when McCaslin got on the mic and basically told the crowd, "Stop doing it, or you're gonna we're gonna get a technical," which they were assessed anyway in that game. Yeah, and they were getting killed in that game too. So it's uh, mm. not a good look all around. All right, we've got a good one as we near halftime uh, right now between Chapin and Colleyville. Here to update you on that and everything else is Adrian. One last bottom of the hour Sports Center update here as we continue. Adrian, thank you very much. As we continue here on the program uh, in our final 30 minutes, if you would like to get into the show, 505 6009. That's uh, 505 6009. I watched a. Uh, a UTEP football video that was up put on social like yesterday, the day before, like a 90-second video. Adrian, I'm not going to lie to you. I can't wait for spring ball this year. I feel like as much as we've got to do our day job, which is sales, but we're not on the air, we've got to spend as much time as humanly possible trying to see uh, see what that uh, new staff and new roster is going to be up to as far as UTEP football goes. Yeah, 17 days until the first spring practice, but who's counting, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Spring break is right around the corner for these guys. I believe they uh, they get let loose late less, uh, next week, so I think they're done Thursday, Friday, and they get to go home for a week, and then right after that, it's the start of spring ball. So let's see what happens. Uh, our very own Cade McConnell will be a part of it. We'll get to watch him. We'll get to watch this new team. And, yeah, most anticipated, I can remember, a UTEP spring ball since that 2005 uh, transition year after they had that fantastic first year in 2004 under head coach Mike Price way back when. Uh, I don't remember that much excitement about a spring practice way back until then. I mean, that's probably the last time I remember this much buzz around it. Here's the thing. I feel the same way about spring ball as I do about fall camp. I feel like it's it's nice to watch, but we really won't know anything until we see this team on the field for their first regular season game. But that being said, maybe because the staff is completely different, the style is completely different, the energy and enthusiasm is like something we've really never seen before, I am so curious to watch and see what it's going to be like for spring practice. Uh, my curiosity has almost made it where, 
yeah, I want to see as much football from this group as I possibly can just to get a feel for what might be coming in about five months when the season gets ready to start up. Yeah, of course. The hype and excitement is just about the newness. It's not about the actual team. If you're going to talk to me about the team and the schedule, knowing how difficult it is, I mean, me trying to talk myself into four wins, that's pretty difficult right here, just knowing who they have to play. Uh, I've got four guaranteed losses in my head right now. Liberty, uh, I've got the Colorado State game, the Tennessee game, and Nebraska. That's just me looking at it, outside looking in. Um, and now I'm curious to see how this current new roster responds to practice, how they practice, just period. Remember, with Dana Dimmel, the interesting part that he did that not a lot of other teams and you know co- uh, college programs across the country, they don't do. Um, you know, Dana Dimmel did not really hit at his practices. Uh, from everything we've heard from Cade McConnell and Scotty Walden, they're going to be hitting at practice again. Remember, they these practices under Dimmel were pretty, uh, I would say, just very, they would go through all of their schemes, all of their game plan and all of that kind of stuff, but they wouldn't actually hit. Now now uh, with Scotty Wallen, they're going to be hitting, Steve. I feel like injuries hurt Dimmel so much, it was almost like he was afraid to hit because he didn't want anybody else to go down. And He couldn't afford it. No, no, but... This group doesn't seem to have that kind of a concern, at least early on. That could always change during the season when things happen. But at least as far as it's, uh, you know, as far as we know now, it's all systems go for this group. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I feel like now they've at least shown that they've recruited a lot of depth at every position. So if they truly have the depth, I mean, these past couple of years, it feels like the fans were sold on the depth that would never really get to show itself on the court. If they actually build that depth, they won't have to worry about things like the injuries that could pop up and that will not could inevitably pop up throughout the season. It's football. It's a physical sport it's a very physical sport so now you're right that's a it's a really good point and uh, something that needs to be brought up hey by the way and I don't have the answer to this maybe you do because the more I think about it I I just I don't know but do we have any idea whatsoever what happened to Aaron Dumas has that has that mystery been solved? No, it hasn't. Um, all I, all my indications have told me that he is not currently on the team, and he is not enrolled at UTEP. I don't know if he's uh, currently playing or on a roster anywhere right now. Uh, but that's that's at least what I know. Okay, we know that Aaron Dumas was um, was injured, but was you know apparently going to put himself in a position to come back. But man, I'm just I'm like you. I'm trying to find out, you know, where his next stop is, and I, I, I just don't know. So, um, yeah, I think that's going to be a real uh, interesting question at this point because even on social, you know, he hasn't um, he hasn't put much on over the last you know, few years. So I don't know. I mean, it'd be a shame if he walks away from football after all these years because. I would still love to see what a healthy Aaron Dumas could do if given a chance. Me too. I mean, Aaron Dumas was somebody who is a uh, Mountain West all-freshman when he was first at New Mexico. Remember, if he if he had had a little uh, more patience in that Washington system, he could, be, he could have been playing in that national championship knowing that they had injuries to their running back positions, the Husky did, uh, and he was just kind of in that running back group. So he yep. would have 
had an opportunity to maybe see the field if that could have been the case. But he transferred over to UTEP last year, elected to take the uh, red shirt, and didn't uh, you know waste his eligibility last season. So this year, I'm curious, does he land on a roster, and which roster would that be? Would UTEP welcome him on this team, or as this coaching staff has said in the past, did they have the ultimatum already where the the cutoff time is there, and they probably wouldn't accept somebody, or they might not accept somebody like this who wants to come back to the program. I would love to know the answer to that, too. Hey, meanwhile, Enrique Ortiz had a question that's been brought up on the show before. He mentions on Twitter and X, with College Football 25 releasing this summer, is it possible you guys can do a segment where you simulate UTEP football games? We've got to do a lot more than that. I was thinking about that. We've got to think of a whole rollout once uh, the game actually comes out. And I was even telling uh, some of the brass back here, it's time to uh, develop the 600 ESPN El Paso Twitch stream so we could do it after hours and uh, play some uh, NCAA football after hours and stream it. So here's my question, okay? If I reach out to EA and the College Football 25 design team, do you think that they would um, want to partner with us on a simulation week by week for the games based on their models and how things work? Or is simulated games simply based on who plays it here from a, uh, from a, per- you know, from a design standpoint? How does, how does the simulation work is my question. Okay, so the way that the simulation would work, it's simple. Anybody could do it. We could do it on our, um, our PS5 yeah. or the Xbox, whatever game system that we're going to use. And we literally just put a UTEP schedule. We simulate the season. So you're not going to play as a user. Right. You're going to let the computer play itself. But but you're going to watch all of it happen and see what the record is when it's all said and done. So what you're telling me is that you can't do a week-by-week simulation. You, gotta you could. Well, but mostly, well, can you do a week-by-week simulation where you actually input the previous week's scores before you simulate the next week? Yes. So, yeah, you could have that in in the pipeline. It would be a little difficult when the season actually kicks off. So the idea is to do it before the season actually starts to see what the computer would guess UTEP to you know do in these games. Okay, because I was like, they're thinking, not going to update the season week by week right. based on you know how your team is doing and stuff like that. They do that for Madden for sure and. And they do that for 2K as well. So, like, right now, I could hop on 2K. All the players that are currently on the Raptors who weren't there before, like R.J. Barrett, yes. who was on the Knicks, he will still be on – he will now be on the Raptors. They update it very often. Uh, college sports does not update until the end of the season. That makes okay, – Or at least so they used to not do that. Yeah, I, I do wonder if maybe – well, here's the funny thing is that with guys going in the portal and things like this, I, I wonder how advanced – how advanced uh, college football 25 will be. Yeah, so then that that's why they'll want you to buy 26, college football 26, and then you'll just buy yeah. that one, and yeah. you'll get all the new transfer portal guys from ah, the offseason. Instead, instead of updates. Yeah, and what you could do, so you could create your own player, you could have him be at mm. UTEP, you could have yeah. him go out and try to win the Heisman and do all that kind of stuff. At least that's how they did it in the college football 14 game, and they made it really user-friendly. So uh, the simulated model, the simulated game idea, that's all very possible with this upcoming uh, video game coming out. All right. We've got time for one last segment. It'll be our final countdown heading into the weekend. We'll do that next. Stay with us. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso.